Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another very special Lenten edition of Ignite Radio Live over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio. Tonight, we're blessed to share with you two very impactful Lenten reflections by two beloved priests, friends of the Schleter family and friends of Mass Impact. The first is a reflection to couples given by Father Nick Rao, where he connects two of the last words of Christ on the cross to Mary couples in a particular way as Jesus is dying as he's giving these final words um, he gives a great insight into the the deep meaning of suffering and its role in God's design to foster outstanding marriages that give witness to God and then you will get to hear a voice that most of you listeners are familiar with Father Larry Richards no stranger to Catholic radio who will give us his thoughts and insights on Just Live It, basically telling us that it has to go beyond just these 40 days, but truly be life-transforming. Of course, we love that theme, Just Live It, because it corresponds really to our mission, Live It, Live Image the Trinity. And we invite you to join us in this journey at massimpact.us. You can download the free app. We encourage families and groups to make the commitment, the Live It Challenge, seven weeks to talk and pray. Set aside just 45 minutes to talk and pray. Receive the gift of God alive in your relationships. Now with no further ado, on with the show. One of the gospel passages that's very prominent during the season of Lent, matter of fact so prominent that it's part of the RCIA process, is the Samaritan woman at the well. It's in John chapter 4. It's a rather long gospel and it's actually not the focus of my reflection tonight, but it's a good way, I think, to begin. It's a very long exchange between a Samaritan woman who's had many husbands and now is living with a man uh, and the Almighty God of the universe, the Lord Jesus himself, who comes ostensibly to the well because he's thirsty. But really, he's not thirsty simply with his humanity. He's thirsty with his Godhead to save souls. And so in this beautiful dialogue between the Samaritan woman and Jesus, there's a fascinating reference to the well, and then there's mention of a bucket in the dialogue, and then there's brief mention about a water jar. And I love the symbolism here. I'd like to just say a brief word about the symbolism and maybe kind of where I think an an evening like this fits into that kind of symbolism. Of course, this dialogue, this beautiful exchange is happening between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And it's all about ostensibly just getting some water from the well because of the thirst that we experience. But obviously, thirst needs something, and that something is found in the well. And so in our spiritual life, we have this deep thirst for God. And we need to make sure that we're going to the right place. You know, we need to make sure that we're going to the well where the Lord is found. Because you and I can at times get distracted, experience that deep inner thirst, but start to go in some other places that are very ready, you know, to pour things into our minds and into our hearts and into our imaginations. But it ain't going to satisfy the deep spiritual thirst. Greg went to the mall with the kids to no, I'm just <laughs> you know, but there's all kinds of things that the world wants to fill, but there's certain things that can only be filled by the well Christ Himself. So we got to make sure that in our personal lives, in our marriage, in our vocations, that we're going to the well regularly, we're going to the Lord. Right? But in that image, you know, the water is deep down, and so there's reference in the, the story about a bucket. In fact, the woman says, you don't even have a bucket. You know, she's got a bucket. And what it means is I have the, the utility I need to access that water deep down, and I can bring it up. I got the thing needed to access what I thirst for. And so it is with you and me. We, we could be at times near where we need to be. You could own the house right next to the Blessed Sacrament. You could be kind of right next to the well, so to speak. You know, but do we have the bucket that we need to kind of retrieve the, the depth of Christ in our lives? 
you know, basically, I, I like to suggest that the bucket is, is, in a sense, the church and the sacraments and the Word of God. These are the ways that you and I can kind of dig down and, and bring up Christ so that we have access to Him. You know, and that's what we're here tonight. You know, the, the, the bucket, the well is here and the bucket's here. And we're, we're kind of ready with our spiritual thirst, the sacraments, the Word of God, uh, the community of faith. Kind of that's the bucket that helps us access the riches of Christ. But finally, in this exchange in the Gospel, John chapter 4, there's brief mention about a water jar. And of course, a water jar, if you lived in a town of that time, you know, to get water home, you'd need the water jar. So the water jar takes, takes it home for washing, takes it home for cooking, takes it home for bathing, takes it home for drinking. So you can actually have it ready at hand when it's needed at home in the daily duties of our lives. And so we need a water jar too. We, we need to kind of take it home and find a way to kind of really have access to it in our day-to-day lives, you know, hour by hour, moment by moment. And I kind of, the reason I bring this up is you folks, you know, uh, you already know where the well is, you know, and you know the bucket. But we all at times struggle with the water jar. You know, I mentioned this imagery to Father Paul Panaretos, the spiritual uh, director for priests in our diocese, and he right away got the image and says, yeah, you know, and sometimes our water jar is cracked and leaking, you know. And it's true, and isn't it true in, our, in your life and mine? It's like, I, I know that I need Christ, you know, and I know that the church helps me access his grace but still sometimes i'm thirsty you know still sometimes the water jar seems empty at home or at work or maybe even in a marital relationship maybe even a priest's heart sometimes it just seems like we know what we need but the water jar is cracked and so i'm hoping that you know evenings like this can help be a way for us to have that water jar so we can take christ home with us and he's there whenever we need him and so we're going to jump into a little bit of reflection, but uh, to do so, let me tell a story that has nothing to do with the gospel of the Samaritan woman or the next gospel I'm going to read. When I was studying in Rome, the, uh, most of the priests that I was studying with were studying there to get doctorates. And it's the custom at Roman universities that for a doctoral defense, they are public. Anybody can come. Matter of fact, they're so public that you have to post notices up and let it be known that this is a public defense, okay, of your dissertation. And so just to support each other, the priests that lived together, there was about 80 of us who lived together, and many of us eventually would get to that moment of a public defense of our dissertation. So to kind of encourage each other, we try to go to each other's uh, you know, dissertation defenses. So there's this one just sweetheart of a priest, a guy from Philadelphia, Father Jim, I won't tell you his last name because you'll see why a little bit later. Uh, so Father Jim's defense was in canon law, right? And he worked really hard on this dissertation in canon law. So there he was at the Gregorian University, you know, public defense. The Jesuits are sitting there in, the, in their bench, you know, their tribunal. And there he is off the side, you know, doing all this in Italian, which was his second language, of course. And there was many of us kind of sitting there listening in to this public defense at a certain moment the dean of the canon law school, very respected uh, Jesuit and canon lawyer, uh, Father Gerlanda, asked a question to Father Jim. And it was what seemed to be an important question. And at the end, he said, said his question, he said, si or no? Yes or no? Well, Father Jim kind of deferred and, and said, well, it's really not that important of a question. And, you know, I think we could set that aside. I, I don't think that's really a matter for the, my defense. Father Gerlanda was not happy with that answer. So he, he, again, was a little more focused and he asked the question. He said, see si or no? And then Father Jim replied again. He kind of, this time he realized he couldn't escape and he kind of nuanced it. Well, maybe this and maybe that and if this and then that. And then it was... Finally, third time, Father Gerlanda asked the question very pointedly, and at the end, see si or no? Yes or no? There's silence in the room. You know, everybody waited. What's going to happen here? So Father, Father Jim knew he had to give one or the other answer. So he says with kind of a weak, shaky voice, see? Si? <laughs> no! <laughs> 
Oh, poor Jimmy. <laughs> but there are times in our lives where it, you know, it was kind of the Lord is there. Yes or no? You know, am I going to follow him or not? You know, and the gospel passage that I want to share with you is really one of those moments of see or no, yes or no. It comes from Luke's gospel. We know that Jesus was crucified next to a couple of thieves, uh, but it's Luke that gives us the most detail. Two others who were criminals were led along with him to be crucified. One of the criminals, hanging in crucifixion, blasphemed him. Aren't you the Messiah? Then save yourself and us. But the other one rebuked him. Have you no fear of God, seeing you are under the same sentence? We deserve it, after all. We are only paying the price for what we've done. But this man has done nothing wrong. He then said, Jesus, remember me when you enter upon your reign. And Jesus replied, I assure you, this day you will be with me in paradise. It's the two thieves crucified, one on Jesus' right and one on Jesus' left. I'd like to explore this a little bit. Let me explain why. It's Palm Sunday Eve, you know, evening prayer one, Palm Sunday, and so we're right upon Holy Week. So it'd almost be, it'd almost be, I, I thought that was a cell phone here, it was a baby. <laughs> Holy Week is beginning. And so even though we're gathering tonight Catholic Couples Night, it still seems to me only right that we kind of focus on this mystery that's beautifully represented here in the sanctuary, Palm Sunday and Holy Week. And so what, there's a number of customs that are part of our rich Catholic tradition uh, during uh, uh, Holy Week and Lent, certainly the Stations of the Cross. And for a time, I thought maybe we'd focus on a couple Stations of the Cross. But there's another devotion in our Catholic tradition that's so rich that I'd like to dip into tonight for our reflection. And it's the seven last words. The seven last words. There are these, the words of Jesus on the cross. And they're beautiful. Uh, let me just remind you uh, what they are. We're, we're not going to take a look at all of them, but we're going to take a look at least at one. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Today you will be with me in paradise. Behold your son, behold your mother. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thirst. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. It's a beautiful custom built up around these words, and they're shared, of course, by our Protestant brothers and sisters as well, these so-called last words. They're the words that are found in Scripture on the lips of Jesus as he's dying on the cross, and we're going to approach at least one of them with the mind and heart of the church. Of course, it's just fascinating, I think, to just reflect briefly on last words. You know, we use that expression kind of two different ways, and they're, they're extremes. You know, one t sometimes we say, you know, you know, my brother, he has to have the last word, you know, and when, when we say it that way, it's a negative. You know, the connotation is, is there's tension, there's antagonism, and this person always has to have the, the one-up. He has to have the last word. But we use that expression in another way in English, too, where we talk about, you know, so-and-so, he's the last word in Latin conjugations, Father Kosicki, you know, which means he's the authority. He really knows what he's talking about. If you want to know something, you go to that person, and there's the last word. So isn't it interesting that this kind of expression that we use in English sometimes is used in hostility, and there was hostility around the cross. There was antagonism and hatred, but there also was the final authority, the one who knows love and manifested love. He is the last word in divine love. But these seven last words kind of manifest that and fulfill it. So I'd like to focus on that one that we just read from Luke, which is the exchange with the thieves and Jesus. It's interesting. I found this when I was kind of getting ready for tonight. Uh, almost every crucifix that you see, and there's two that you can see here in the sanctuary, one over the altar and one behind, the, the head of Jesus 
is always turned to the right. And out of pious tradition, the idea is it was the good thief that was on the right of Jesus. So in a sense, dying Jesus is turning towards this so-called the good thief. Now, just a word about the word thief. In the Gospels, it uses a Greek word that could mean, you know, robber, thief, revolutionary, insurrectionist. But basically, these are two men that rejected worldly authority. And it just seems to me that that's not a bad reflection for us in our relationship with God. It isn't what sin is. Basically, I reject God's authority in my life, and I obey another authority, typically my own will. So in a sense, we're all insurrectionists before God. You know, we're all rebels. You know, we all steal that which doesn't belong to us and we claim it unto us. So we're all thieves here tonight. We're all insurrectionists. We're all rebels. The real question, yes or no, is are we going to turn toward the Lord Jesus truly as our Messiah? One rebel didn't. One rebel did. And what I'd like to do is walk through this a little bit, and there will be some application, I think, to the marital vocation, certainly to all of us as believers. St. Augustine said three men were crucified. Three died. One was a Savior, the Savior. One was saved, and one was condemned. You know, that, that, that those moments in our lives of yes or no, will I turn to him as my Savior or not? So let's look at this dialogue, maybe, between the good thief and Jesus. Maybe if I could just go back a step. Let me go back to this unrepentant thief ever so briefly. If we, if we heard the words Jesus, uh, in the gospel rather, the unrepentant thief calls out to Jesus. There, there's an exchange there, but it's not an exchange of faith. If, if you are the Messiah, then save us. So the unrepentant thief had some basic intellectual knowledge, basic recognition that maybe the person dying next to him may be entitled to the name Savior, but he doesn't open up to it. So there's kind of an intellectual awareness that maybe this is the Savior, whatever that means. He just wants something from the Savior. St. Augustine says he dies condemned. But the other thief, the other rebel, the other insurrectionist, turns to Jesus in a whole different way, with faith. And so, yes or no, are we going to turn to the Lord in faith? So this exchange between the good thief and Jesus. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. First thing that's worth noticing is he calls the Lord by name, by the same name that Mary and Joseph would have called him, his childhood friends, his Jesus. He knew him by name. Pope Benedict says some beautiful things that when God reveals his name, he reveals access, that we can call upon the Lord by name, Jesus. Jesus. And that's no insignificant thing. I know that when, my, um, when I was growing up and my parents, who had a wonderful uh, marriage, you know, they would have certain names for each other. They were the only ones who used those certain names for each other. Then some of you know my mom died and my dad remarried, and sure enough, in this second marriage of my father and my stepmother, they had certain names for each other, you know, which may or may not be part of your marital bond, but it's a beautiful kind of thing. There's certain names, certain words of expression where you call out to one another in love. The repentant thief called out to the Lord Jesus in love and in hope and called him out by name. And you and I can do that and are invited to do that. Jesus, Jesus. At baptism, uh, you were given a name. You know, Michael, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. When you were married, you know, what you probably uh, said words something like this. I, Gregory, 
take you, Stephanie, to be my wife. You know, you inserted in that exchange of vows your name and your beloved's name. You know, there's an exchange of names in the midst of that sacramental bond. You know, it's a beautiful that at the cross, you know, uh, Jesus is named. And so in, in, in our prayer, we need to call upon Him. And in your, baptis- your baptismal and marital life, to use those names with reverence, to call out to each other. And what does the repentant thief say? Hello, Father Michael. No, he doesn't say that. <laughs> Father Michael is here. Glad to have you. The repentant thief, Jesus, remember me. This is, this is kind of neat. Just remember me. You know, kind of hold on to me. Hold me in your, in your mind and in your heart when you move along, you know, in your journey through death. Remember me. Don't, don't forget me, you know. How many love songs are written, basically, you know, you're on my mind, I'm always thinking of you, you know, remember me, yeah, we could probably do a little twang, Greg, on, you know, but some kind of, all kinds of love songs talk about this. You know, I want, although we might be apart, we, let's, let's be with each other in mind and in heart. And so it is with this repentant Jesus, remember me. You know, don't forget about me when you go into your kingdom. How important in a marriage that you experience that the Lord remembers you. That individually and as a couple. And how important it is in a marriage, I trust, that there's that sense of you're always on each other's mind. You know, you're, you're always mindful, even if you're doing very different things throughout the day or split up because of work for days at a time, that there's this deep mindfulness of one another, uh, that you really remember one another lovingly and, and dearly. This is interesting because the repentant thief, he, he wanted a relationship with Jesus, he, whereas the unrepentant thief just wanted something from Jesus. You know, save us. What did the repentant thief say? Remember me. You know, he wanted a relationship. That was more important than just somehow miraculous be, miraculously being pulled down from the cross. The good thief doesn't ask to be miraculously escaped or uh, saved from the trial of the cross. What he hopes for is after the death that the Lord Jesus would remember him. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's going to lead the way. Jesus is leading the way through this. There was a couple I knew, and I may have mentioned this to some of you before, years back. They had a real bad patch, and for a very good reason, one spouse really broke a bond, a significant bond with each other. And I think it's probably something that would have sent 90% of couples to divorce. This couple was a very devout Catholic couple. They, had to, they moved out of each other's, one moved out of the house, and, and there was a month or two where they, they split up and couldn't even talk to each other. It was that severe. And, but gradually, they're both devout Catholics, and they're both that sense of, wait a second, we came together uh, before the altar of God, and Christ anointed our bond, and Christ still remembers us. You know, Christ hasn't forgotten us, and we haven't forgotten Christ. We need to be together. So they, in faith, because of their confidence in the power of the grace of the sacrament of marriage, came back together. It was not easy. It was not all of a sudden, oh, I remember, we got married in church, so everything's going to be okay, honey. You know, it was not like that. They had to work through this on a, on a very real, emotional uh, level to find the healing that was important, and they're st- still happily married. This is now about 20 years later. Happily married because they remembered, you know, that they were in the heart of Christ as husband and wife, and were still there in His heart as husband and wife. And they weren't feeling in each other's heart as husband and wife, but in the heart of Christ, they were husband and wife, and that's where they would find their reconciliation. Jesus. Remember me when you come into your kingdom.
then what does Jesus say? Amen, I say to you. This is a kind of a solemn introduction. You know, this isn't just a throwaway line. Uh, this is like I'm clearing my throat <clears throat> and I am solemnly declaring, you know, amen, I say to you. You know, this is like a solemn declaration, like when a pope canonizes a saint, you know, by the apostolic authority that I have as a successor of St. Peter, I declare, you know, so and so is a saint. This is, I solemnly declare, amen, I say to you, this day you will be with me in paradise. Interesting, this is the only time in the Gospels that the Greek word paradise shows up. Paradise. They're, they're nailed to the wood of the cross. And the word paradise is exchanged. You know, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of real loss and pain, unjust, at least for the Lord Jesus, maybe for the thief it was just, you know, on a, on a human level of justice. But, you know, but the, in the midst of the suffering, Jesus speaks and promises paradise. Boy, oh boy, I, I, I think in mar the married vocation and the priestly vocation, we've got to remember that. Jesus speaks about paradise in the midst of our suffering. You know, we don't, we don't hear the word paradise show up at the wedding feast at Cana. There's other good things at the wedding feast of Cana. But it's at, on the cross where Jesus talks about paradise. Amen, I say to you, this day, this day, you know, this day, so right now, somehow, paradise can be a part of your married life the paradise that the Lord gives. That doesn't mean that's kind of superficial, uh, Madison Avenue kind of happy married life, but that deep contentment that you're living the vocation that God wants you and he will bless you and reward you for it. And I kind of, of course, it wouldn't hurt if, if, you know, tonight when you go to bed, honey, this is paradise, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt. But that, uh, but that sense of, no, this is what the Lord, the Lord is saving me by His grace and love today, this day. You know, so often you and I as believers, we, we know it's coming, but it's like down the road. And, and, and so we kind of struggle for it. But somehow I think in the glimpse, we have to glimpse, uh, have the glimpse in our daily life, this day, that there's already in some fashion some paradise that only Christ can give in my life. This day, you will be with me in paradise. He doesn't say, this day you're going to go to paradise. He says, this day you're going to be with me. With me in paradise. It's a relationship with the Lord. You know, So much of our Christian journey, uh, although sometimes it seems very individual, and, and in many ways it is, ultimately it's a relationship with Him and with others. This day you will be with me in, in paradise. In paradise. On the day of your wedding, you exchanged... Names, promises, consent. You know, that you'll be, um, until death, you'll beat each other's sides in good times and in bad, for richer, for poorer. It, we didn't promise, the Lord didn't promise that every day would be the kind of worldly paradise, you know, that superficial paradise. But He does promise that each day He will be there, and that will be the path to paradise. I'd like to, if I could, uh, just uh, finish with one more last word. By the way, this is just a little Catholic trivia I, thought, I find fascinating. If you look up in the Roman martyrology, when the feast day is for the repentant thief, the good thief, Sancti Latronis, St. Dismas we call him in tradition, his day is March 25th. In the early days before the Easter kind of moved around, you know, according to the lunar cycle, the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox, that's how we kind of drive it now. It was kind of identified, Good Friday was considered March 25th. So March 25th was the day that Jesus died on the cross. So it was the Good Thieves Feast Day. And of course, how do we celebrate it now? But it's the Feast of the Annunciation. You know, all this stuff kind of woven together in the, in the wonderful mind of the church. That Mary said yes to the angel. That Jesus says yes to the Father's will. That Dismas, the repentant thief, 
says yes to Jesus. All these yeses of salvation and divine love on the same day. All those yeses are often a part of a married life. You know, the, the yeses that are joyful and exciting and the yeses that are difficult and involve suffering. They're all kind of woven together. The second to last, last word is Jesus saying from the cross, it is finished. It is finished. In Latin, it's rendered consumatum est. It is consummated. Because we're you know, together with Catholic couples, it might be worth just kind of, you know, for a marriage to be consummated, we know what that means. That after the marriage vows, the couple uh, become one physically, and their marriage is consummated in the marital bed. And that's part of the sacrament. You know, uh, some of you know Father Larry, and for a while there, when he would marry couples, he'd now, now call me when your marriage is consummated, and we'll you know c- consider the wedding complete. Uh, I don't do that, Father Michael. I don't know about you. Yeah, yeah, I don't either. Uh, but there's something beautiful about that. That what's glorious and beautifully and done publicly in church also has a very intimate and private moment in your home, and that's in a sense it's all what completes the sacramental marriage. It's consummated. It's finished. But you know, right, it's not really finished. (laughs) It's just getting started, you know. And so when Jesus says it's consummated, meaning it's finished, you know, he says it in the midst of suffering. So sometimes in, in your marital life and in my priestly life, it kind of comes to its fullness in the midst of some suffering. You know, in the midst of dying to myself, somehow my, your married life, my priestly life, somehow kind of rounds itself out when there's some suffering and pain and hardship. Some dying to myself so that someone else might live. I die to myself so that my spouse might have life. I die, we die to ourselves so that our kids can come to us. It is finished. It's consummated in the midst of dying to self. These are just two of the seven last words of Jesus. Father, forgive, I'm sorry, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Amen, I say to you, you shall be with me in paradise this day. That beautiful exchange between one who loves Jesus and the Savior who loves him and promises paradise in the midst of suffering. And the Lord Jesus, who in the midst of you know, pouring out himself, says, it is finished, it's consummated. In your sacramental bond, you know, uh, continue to turn toward your beloved spouse. Call him or her uh, by name. Uh, remember him or her in the depths of your heart all the time. And die to yourself so that your marital life more and more Uh, might be consummated, consummatum est, may it be finished beautifully and lovingly in God's holy will. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. You're listening to a very special Lenten edition of Ignite Radio Live over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio. For more information, go to massimpact.us. Not another program, a way of life. You know, I have a new book coming out soon, so I'm going to finish it. It's on the Lord's Prayer, and it's called Just Live It. Huh? Because for me, most people say the Lord's Prayer every day, I would imagine, but most people haven't a clue what they say. You know, like, again, someone will come to me and say, Father, I'm having a bad day. Really? Yes, I am. I said, oh, did you thank God for your bad day? I did not. Did you say the Lord's Prayer this morning? I did. Did you say your will be done? I did. Well, this is his will. Why aren't you thanking him for it? Well, that ain't what I meant. Exactly. So if we just started to think about what we mean when we pray, what we mean when we pray, how are we living the faith, or are we just going through the motions of living the faith? Huh? And again, I don't take it for granted that all sarans live the faith. I don't take it for granted priests live the faith. I don't take it for granted nuns live the faith. I don't take it for granted bishops live the faith. I don't take it for granted. Take nothing for granted. Because we all got to be growing. Just because a person's a priest does not mean he's living the faith. 
let me give you a hint here, including me. You know, we can all look really nice. We can all do all the things and people, you know. I'll never forget years ago in 1990, I was in the worldwide retreat for priests in, in Rome. And there was uh, 6,000 priests there from all around the world. You know, one guy was from Russia and the other guy was from China around me. That's how very weird it was. It was translated in nine different languages, everyone that was speaking. And one of the speakers there was Sister Bridge McKenna. You know Sister Bridge McKenna? Sister Bridge, wonderful lady, huh? a great nun. She spends four hours a day before the Blessed Sacrament. And she goes, oh, fathers. <laughs> and here we go. She was setting us up is what she was doing. You're so holy. Oh, just look at you, all the things you do. And I'm thinking, okay, here we go. It's called a setup. And she says, who am I to speak to you people? Who am I? But she says, oh, fathers, oh, my. You know, everybody thinks how holy you are and all the holy things you do. But you do realize that Jesus sees your heart. Is your heart filled with lust? Is it filled with disobedience? Is it filled with self, uh, selfishness? Is it filled with self-love? Because, Father, no matter what anybody else sees, this is what God sees. And we all put our head down. <laughs> You're like, oh, shut up. Here we go, huh? Because, again, that's, you know, Jesus looks into our hearts and he sits here and says, I want your heart. I want everything from you. I don't want part of it. I don't want you to go to Mass on Sunday and call yourself a good Christian because that isn't what it is to be a Christian. You know, again, when I, got, uh, when I was made pastor over at St. Joe's, in case half the people here are from St. Joe's, but when I got there to almost, uh, well, it's over 10 years ago now, huh? I was called back to the bishop's office after only two weeks. I was called up to the bishop's office. I think it got to be a record. And the thing of it was, is some, a woman had called me after my second homily, I guess it was, or third homily, whatever it was, and I was still really nice in those days because I was newly <laughs> ordained, and I'm sitting there trying to be real nice to her, yes, ma'am, and she says, you said on Sunday that it isn't enough just to go to Mass on Sunday to go to heaven. I go, well, of course not. Yeah, that's true. And she goes, well, every priest before you said it was enough. All you have to do to go to heaven is go to Mass on Sunday. And I said, oh, uh, ma'am, I'm sure that's not what all the priests said. And she's 20-minute conversation. I'm telling you that's what they said. Every priest before you said the only thing. So, fathers, are you, father, are you calling them liars? I said, well, I'm sure that's not what they, only, that's not what they meant, if that's what they, I'm telling you that's what they, so after 20 minutes, she, she put me in a corner, and she sat there and says, so you're calling all the priests liars. I said, if that's all they said is all you have to do to go to heaven is go to mass on Sunday, they were liars. Ah! So she called Monsignor Smith, of course, and they called me right up, you know, like, I'll never forget sitting there and, okay, Bishop, what happened? Did you tell a woman that it wasn't enough just to go to, <laughs> to, go to Mass on Sunday to go to heaven? I said, yes. And he says, I said, Bishop, is, is that true? Is all we have to do to go to heaven is go to Mass on Sunday? Because if it is, I'm leaving here and I'm going to do other things for the rest of my life and I'll just show up on Mass on Sunday for an hour if that's all I got to do. Whoa, I've been living the wrong life. He goes, no, of course not, of course not. And then he sat there and he says, Monsignor Smith, he says, so what do you want him to do? And Monsignor Smith says, why don't you call her and tell her that you love her? <laughs> he says, no, I am not going to call this woman and tell her I love her. That's all they need to know is the only way to get to Father Larry is call a bishop. And he'll tell you people, hey, go and tell them that you love them. So I didn't do that. But the reality is he let me get away with not doing that. But the mindset of so many people is the only thing I got to do is go to church on Sunday and be a good person. And that's going to get me to heaven right? Think about it. I consider myself, I do a lot with uh, men's groups, of course, and throughout I'll be in Duluth, Minnesota on Saturday speaking to their men's conference up there. And so I sit there and I, I, I consider myself like a spiritual coach. And just think about this. Here you are and you want to be a good football player, basketball player, soccer player, golfer, whatever it is. And you get a coach. You spend a lot of money for this coach. And you say, okay, coach, what should I do? Tell me what to do. And the coach looks at you and says, well, I like you just the way you are. Just Go to practice. When you feel like it, when it's not too much, go to practice for 45 minutes to an hour, depending on who the coach is, and try to have good thoughts about the game. What would you do with that coach? Get out of here. I could have did that myself. And yet, for often, that's what we want from our church, isn't it? Father at Mass on Sunday. Oh, you're loved just the way you are. God is Barney. I love you. You love me. And here's the great big purple dinosaur in the sky that says, don't get mad at me. Don't get mad. Just, could you try to go to Mass on Sunday for 45 minutes to an hour, depending on who the priest is and how long they're going to preach? Just try. If it's not a good day, you can't go golfing. Could you just try to be a good person? 
Well, that's just garbage. I don't buy it, but most Catholics do. <laughs> and that's the problem, that where is the fire inside of us, that we are on fire for God, that we, you know, what's the greatest commandment? That you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. So again, let's say for instance, you all drop dead right there, dead right there, dead forever. It's gone. And then the God of the universe looks at you and says, I love you so much. And because I love you so much, I will now give you what you love the most forever. He'll give you what you want. Whatever you love the most, that's what I will give you forever. So, if you were to drop dead right now, and the God of the universe looked at you and says, okay, I'll give you what you love the most forever, would that be him? And could you prove it by the time you give him every day? Do you fit God into your day? Or do you build your day around God? Anytime you fit your God into your day, God is no even close to being first in your life. You know, like again, when I do a men's conference, I have what we call the questions, huh? For, I usually speak on confession. So most people, men's conferences, parish missions, they'll go through the questions. The first question is, do you pray every day? The number one answer in the world so far is what do you think? I try. I try. <laughs> exactly. I try. And I go, come here. Whack! You try. Do you try to eat every day? Well, 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 no. Do you try to go to work every day? Well, 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 no. Then why do you try to pray? What's more important, praying or eating? Praying. praying. We don't believe that, though. Really? Is it true? If I was to say, did you pray yesterday? I, uh, Father, I try, but I, uh, it was a very busy day, you know, and I had so much going on. Uh, yeah, I didn't pray. Oh, you're a follower of Jesus? I am. Really? You know, see, that's the great thing about being a follower of Jesus. He doesn't call us to be perfect. He just calls us to be faithful. And it's faithful to him. And before we do anything else, we've got to be these people just have such a love for God. And we prove that every day by the way we're living our lives. Live it. We've got to just live it. We can't just talk about it. You know, today, anybody went to daily mass today? It's a good thing to do for Lent, you pagans. You decide, oh, it's a lot, it's a lot of work, Father, go to daily mass. I have a business. Well, 7 o'clock in the morning we have it. Cathedral has it at 6.30 still? 6.45, so. And my daily mass is exactly 22 minutes with homily. I mean, the first reading was from the letter of, anybody remember? James, very good. And again, I love James because he kicked us in the butt this morning, did he not? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I hate, I hate this. But it begins and he says, um, let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I'm dead the first line. It's like there's no hope for me. You know, quick to speak, yeah, slow to anger, forget it, I'm done. For a man's anger does not feel God's justice. I even have it in red here in my Bible just to remind me. Uh, all that, uh, strip away everything that is filthy, every vicious axis. Humbly welcome the word of God that has taken root in you with its power to save you. And we're going to go back to that. Humbly welcome the word of God with its power to save you. We're going to come back to that. And then it says, act on this word. If all of you do is listen to it, you are deceiving yourself. Huh? A man who listens to God's word but does not put it into practice is like a man who looks into a mirror at the face he was born with. He looks at himself, then goes off and promptly forgets what he looks like. There is, on the other hand, the man who peers into freedom's ideal law and abides by it a bit. He is no forgetful listener, but one who carries out the law in practice. Blessed is this man in whatever he does. And then the next line is, none of us want to hear this, of course, but if a man who does not control his tongue imagines he is devout, he is self-deceived. His worship is pointless. That's not good for when a priest has a tongue that's uh, not always in control. So his worship is pointless. Even for a priest, can you imagine being me? Okay, looking after orders orphans and widows in their distress and keeping oneself unspotted by the world unspotted by the world make pure worship without staying before God our Father so here he says two things huh he says you have to welcome the word of God into your life now again who am I to even suggest anything to you the week before Lent uh, what you're gonna do for Lent but let me give you a few things just just thoughts okay And if you don't like them purgatory is a long time the first thing is that you need to sit there and take and you know, St. Paul, you ever see a statue of St. Paul? What does St. Paul always have in his arm, in his hand? A sword. Why does St. Paul have a sword in his hand? The word of God is a two-edged sword, right? So, here's St. Paul with the sword. Now, I love it. You know, most of the times, like even at my place, there's St. Paul up there, and he has him in the back altar, and there's Paul with the sword down. If you ever go to St. Paul outside the walls, you know, in Rome? <laughs> 
You ever been there? I know the priests have been there. But you go there, and the big statue of St. Paul, his isn't facing Don. How's it going? It's faced up. He's ready for war. Now, what needs to happen with us is the Word of God got to be something that we need to welcome in our daily lives. It just is. And again, a lot of Catholics don't get it. You know, the first thing I do when I do a mission, and again, we had over, oh, almost 1,500 people every night at the mission in Orlando this week. And so the first night I get there, I say, okay, gentlemen and ladies, put your Bibles. And everybody starts laughing, giggle, 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 you know, we don't have Bibles, Father, we're Catholic. I say, come on, there's got to be a few Protestants here, please hold up the Word of God. And so a few of the Protestants hold them up the Word of God, or if they've heard any of my CDs or anything, they go, we got one, Father. And nowadays they pull out their little iPhone and say, I got the Bible app right here. Shut up, that doesn't count. I tell them to hold up the Word of God. And so my homework, every night I give homework. It has to be practical. If you're not practical, what's the point? Every night's homework. So the first thing I tell these people is, you're going to have to go buy a Bible. And you're going to have to bring it with you tomorrow. If you don't bring a Bible with you tomorrow, it's going to be an extra thousand years in purgatory. And they'll sit there and say, well, Father, I'm not coming back tomorrow. And I say, well, you enjoy hell. Kind of like, did he just say we're going to hell? Yes, he did. See, so the, the next day, at every parish mission, I say, first thing I come out the second night, let me see your Bibles. And it looks like the first assembly of God. There's 1,500 Bibles held up in the air. Now, as happens, like, again, in Orlando this past uh, week, it's by the shrine. If you've ever been down in a shrine down there, it's a beautiful shrine to our the mother, queen of the universe, huh? And uh, they sold out of every single Bible they had. Nobody had a Bible, these Catholics. And I'm not talking about the big one you got at your wedding, you know, where you have everybody's the person that died, the person who was baptized, and you keep it out, and every once in a while you, you, you dust it, and then when you know the priest is coming over, you put it out and put it on the thing so they know, hey, I got a Bible. Uh-uh. You got to have a Bible that you're going to read every day, because you got to start thinking about things for Lent. Because if you're one of those, what are you going to do for Lent? I give up chocolate every year. Ooh, huh? Here's the God of the universe said, here, I died for you, and you gave up chocolate for me. Oh, my. Thank you so much. It's so, so hard. Why give up dessert, Father? Oh, my. Oh, please. It's so, so hard. Why don't you do something that's going to bring you closer to Jesus? What are we going to do to come closer to Jesus Christ? What are you going to do for that? Huh? So you always should do something that's going to deny yourself, but something for denying yourself that's going to, that you're sinful in. You know, you might be sitting there looking at things on the internet you shouldn't look at. Or you might be a gossiper. Nobody here, of course. But you sit there and say, so what are you going to give up for Lent? Talking. Won't that be great? Your husband's will be ecstatic. But you know, that's not the truth. You know who the greatest gossipers are in the whole world, don't you? Priests. By far. We're the worst gossipers. And we don't call it gossip. We call it, it's the sin of detraction. Because it's only telling the truth about somebody. But it's, trust me on this. Priests, are the, it's not women, it's priests. So you got to sit there and think, where is your sinfulness? And that's what you give up. You don't give up because I've given up Pepsi every year since I was 12. Well, so? And, and that does what for you? You know, it's really hard, Father. It really is. You just don't get it. You don't understand. Every year, oh my. You got to ask God what he wants you to give up instead of you deciding what you're going to give up. Because it ain't about you. It's about God, is it not? This is to develop practices. So you, so you don't sit there and say to your wife, I'm going to be nice to you for six weeks. Or to your husband, I'm going to be nice to you for six weeks. It's Lent. But after Lent, I'm going to treat you the same. You know, it's all about the same. So that's what we do with Jesus, don't we? Jesus, I love you. And for Lent, to show I love you, I'm going to go and do extra things for you. But as soon as Easter comes, I'm done with that stuff. Forget that, Jesus. <laughs> Come on. You know, think about it. If this is a relationship with Jesus Christ, think about some of our practices, what we do. And how we treat him. And if it was somebody else, would we get, let them get away with that? Would we even think about doing that to them? Huh? So that's just something we got to sit there and think about. So one of the things I'd encourage you, is you, I'm sure all of you have your own Bibles. And if not, can a husband and wife share a Bible? No, you can't. It's like sharing a toothbrush. Are you kidding me? That's disgusting. Because what you're going to do is you need to get your own Bible because you want to be able to, to write in it. See, this is what Bibles are for. This is what, uh, this is what white duct tape's for, you know. And if you look at it, you know, I know pretty much there's all these things in there. It's everything you need to write in. It needs to be yours. This is your relationship with Jesus. huh? Who are you supposed to be more intimate with, your husband or wife or Jesus? Jesus, thank you. So this is the ignorance of the Bible is... Ignorance of Christ. Who said that? St. Jerome. So it's our saint, right? You know, so often, they, Father, this sounds Protestant to me. Excuse me, this was ours way before it was theirs. 
So it's ours, and we need to sit there and get to know Christ and the Word of God. Again, the best way to think about it is this. Let's say, remember when you were madly in love with somebody? You ever been totally infatuated with somebody, and you love them so, so much? And then they say, this is my diary. Do you want to read it? Would you say, oh, no, I don't want to read your diary. That's way too intimate. If you're in love with them, I want to know everything about you. Give it to me. And you'd read the whole thing real fast, right? This is God's diary to you. And if you're in love with him, you're going to want to spend time with him. And so this is what I encourage people to do. You take your Bible, and you have a husband and wife, and you, and you all have next to your bed, bed stands, correct? Right? If you have a bed stand. So I'll bet you, the husbands and wives here, I'll bet you you've slept on the same side of the bed your whole life of marriage, right? You would never switch. It's just, of course not. You take the Word of God, and you put it right there next to you on the bed stand. Okay? Now... Every morning I have a thing. <laughs> no Bible, no breakfast, no Bible, no bed. And so you put it next to your bedstand, and before you get out of bed in the morning, before you go to the bathroom or anything, you sit there and you turn on the light or everything because it's, you know, it's still dark in the morning, and you say, Holy Spirit, speak to my heart your word. And you let the Holy Spirit, because if you just read it like a pagan, you know, an atheist can read the word of God and not be convicted, correct? Because what do you need to read the word of God? Faith. And faith comes from the Holy Spirit. It's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. huh? So you need the Holy Spirit. Only the breath of God can give to you the Word of God and convict your heart. So you pray to the Holy Spirit every day. You pray to the Holy Spirit and you say, Speak to my heart your Word. When I was making my priesthood retreat, I, said, I was down at Avalahas Union City, and I says, uh, Okay, Pete, what should I do? And he made me spend uh, five one-hour periods in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And he says, What I want you to do for each of these one-hour periods is I want you to kneel before Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament and ask him to reveal to you his word and open up the word of God. And wherever, you're, you're, wherever you start reading, that's where I want you to start. Okay. So I went and here I am, all excited. You know, I was 28 years old. I'm finally going to get ordained. I'm a lifer. You know, and so I was sitting there and I knelt down before Jesus and I said, Jesus, speak to my heart your word. And I opened up the word of God and it came here to John chapter 5, verse 42. And this is what it says. It's simply this, that I know you and you do not have the love of God in your heart. Close the Bible. I was so mad. I thought, are you going to tell me that? I'm going to be a deacon. I'm going to be a virgin, right? Because there ain't many virgins left anymore. I'm still a 51-year-old, going to be a 52-year-old virgin here. And some people say, Father, we know why you're a virgin. Shut up. I didn't always look like this. But anyway, so the reality is, here it is. I'm going to be a virgin for you, Jesus. What else can I do for you? So I left the chapel. I did not give him a whole hour because I was mad. You ever get mad at God? That's what happened. And after an hour or two later, I had to come back and do a second whole hour. And I knelt down and I said, Jesus, speak to my heart your word. And open up the word of God. It was this very Bible. And it says, it's simply that I know you and you have no love of God in your heart. Oh, close the word of God. Second time. I was so irritated, I sat there and I took a nap because I didn't have to want to deal with Jesus. <laughs> so I took a nap. Da, 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 da. Went back in later to my third hour of prayer. And when I, I knelt there, I remember sitting there. I was in the house in that little chapel over there, and I'm kneeling there, and I said, Jesus, speak to my heart your word, but be nice to me, would you? My exact words to Jesus. Be nice to me. And I opened up the word of God, and guess where it came to? It's simply that I know you, and you have no love of God in your heart. And I closed the word of God, and I started to cry, because it was true. Everything I was doing, I was doing for me, so I could live forever, so I could be a priest, so I could do this, so I could do that. It was all about me. I remember looking at Jesus, and I says, Jesus, you're right. You're right then you who are the creator of all things, recreate my heart and put love of you inside of me. And he did. So when you go to the word of God, the word of God has the power to change you. You see, we just look at the word of God as another history book. If you try to read the word of God from cover to cover, you'll die in Leviticus. You're just going to go, ah! dead. You're going to have one of these things, unless you can listen to Father Michael and he'll tell you why it's so many thousand points of this and that, that. But if we sit there and decide to go there and meet Jesus here, he will convict us and he will lead us every day. Think about it. Some of us get depressed. How could you not? If you're not depressed, you're not paying attention. Huh? And why do we get depressed? Because the first thing in the morning, what do you do? Turn on the news. 
turn on the, or read the paper. It's always bad huh, for some people. So that's the first thing you get is bad news, right? Not every one of you, of course, but a lot of you do. And so that's the first thing you go is you turn on the paper, I turn on the news, watch it, read the newspaper. It's all bad news. So you start off the day in the bad and you're going to end the day in the bad. But if you go, if you, before you get out of bed, before you deal with the problems of the world, you go to the Word of God and you let Jesus, the first thing you hear in the morning, before you start your day, is the good news of Jesus Christ. Even like this morning when he kicked me in the butt with Amos. It was a kick in the butt to me, but it was his word to, for what I was going to have to do this day. Huh? So then you're the whole day, and again, one of the best things to do is to write down a piece of paper, put it in your pocket, pull it out throughout the day, and sit there, and now you're in a dialogue with God every day. Instead of you just saying your prayers every morning, you are now letting God speak to you, and you're responding to him every day. This starts relationship. Before you go to bed, there's the, Jesus waiting for you in his word. And so after you watch the letterman or whatever, before you go to bed, go to the word of God. Jesus, speak to my heart your word. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And then you let God put you to sleep at night. You start your day with God. You end your day with God. It's a very simple reality, but a lot, most people don't do it. And I'm just saying, why don't we? If this is God's word, why aren't we running? It says in the letter this morning from James, the word of God has the power to save you. It has its power to save you. So the word of God can save us every day. And we need saving, in case you're wondering. The book I have coming out called Just Live It, it's about the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer, again, when we say, your will be done, I think that's a lie for most of us, correct? We say your will be done, but we really mean my will be done. Please bless it on earth as it is in heaven. This is what I want from you today, God. And bless my family. Give me strength, God, to get through this day. Let me be courageous, God. Gimme, give gimme. Give this is what I want. Da, 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 da. Instead of like, God, I have plans today, you know. But I'm willing to put them all aside to do what you want me to do. And then you sit there and you ask God to tell you what he wants of you today. It's an altogether different way to live life, huh? It just is. And so we got to sit there and think, every day, am I in charge of my day or is God in charge of my day? And do I prove that practically by living it, by asking God what he wants for me and then sitting there long enough so he can tell me? That's why it's important silence is part of our prayer. It just has to be. <laughs> I know you all heard the story about the, the little old lady who used to go in the cathedral and pray. The little old lady would go in there and say her rosary before the Blessed Mother. And one day there was scaffolding everywhere because they were doing construction in there. And every day the... Uh, the people, the, boy, the guys up there would watch the little old lady come in and say, one day they said, let's have some fun with this little old lady, huh? And he goes, okay. And so here comes the little old lady and she's saying her rosary and the guy's up there and says, hello. And the little old lady just keeps saying her rosary, da, 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 da. And he goes, I'll get her, I'll get her. He goes, hello down there. This is Jesus. And then the little old lady stopped. And she looked up and she turned around, and looked up and says, shut up, I'm talking to your mother and continues to say her rosary. Now, that's the way some people pray. I am talking right now, God. Don't say a word to me. This is what I want to do. Just shut up. Don't bother me with things. huh? And again, we tell God. That means the God of the universe is our lackey who has to jump through our hoops. Right. And if you don't jump through my hoop, God, I'm going to be mad at you. So we got to start changing our whole attitude to what prayer is. Prayer is where I get my marching orders. Prayer is where I get to know God loves me. Prayer is where I respond to that love and I praise him and I worship him and of course I ask him for things. But you ever see people, I call them black hole people. You know what a black hole person is? When you come, they're always like they're the black hole sucking the very life out of you. You know what it is? You're at a party and you know, oh, there's the black hole person. Huh? <gasps> And you go over there and they just start sucking everything right out of you. Huh? That's why we got caller ID nowadays. You know, so you know, ah, it's a black hole person. And what do we do? We run from black hole people, right? We do, to be honest, you know you do. Oh, not me, Father. I go for those people. Shut up. Anyway, so we all run. What do we do with God? Think about God. Are we a black hole person with God? Every time we're in his presence, I want, I need, take care of me, bless me. Oh, I got this problem, I got that problem. Every time we go into his presence, it's all about us. And again, that's the exact opposite of what our faith teaches, right? Because even when we go to Mass, the Mass is called the Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving. So when we go to Mass, of course, it isn't about, it's the only time I have peace. I go to Mass because I need it. 
It's about giving thanks back to God. So it's about God. That's what prayer is. So if I do this, if I just live it in my daily life, I sit there and I meet him every day in the word of God. Okay? Second thing, when I was in the seminary here, I had a thing with Dr. Ware and all those people, it was all part of it. As Dr. Ware is not even in the area anymore, I know, but he was head of Sarah in those days. And here I am, a seminarian, and I was always like, I'm never one that's ha- comfortable. Like, Father Mike Paul and Nicky just got ordained. We went out the, a couple days before our father was or, ordained. And he says, okay, because I'm his pastor. So, Father, you, get, you got any uh, suggestions for me? And I said, yes. First, because I always have suggestions. I always have something to say. And so I says, first, be a holy priest. We don't need priests that aren't holy anymore. Second, never be content with the status quo. Never be content with the status quo. And that's what our own life, that's what a parish, that's what everything. Because if we're content with the status quo, that means we're not growing. That means what? We're more and stagnant, we're dying. If you're not growing, you're dying, people. Stagnant doesn't count. If you're not going forward, you're going backwards. There is no static. Here I am, just the same. Nope, you're dying. So you got to sit there, and, and that's in our own spiritual life. Like, let's, for instance, let's go a year ago, Lent. Can you tell me how you've grown spiritually this year? And can you show me how you have grown spiritually since last year? And if the answer is, no, I'm pretty much the same. I do the same thing now, and I did last year. Well, then you've been dying for a year. You haven't been growing. Now, if you go to the Word of God every day, you're going to be growing every day. Because every day, He's going to stretch you. And <laughs> Trust me. You know, he'll stretch you. And again, like, I don't know what I'm going to do when Pete dies because uh, he's been my spiritual director for so many years. And years ago, I went to him, you know, you, you, you think you go to your spiritual director and you get comfort. No, no, no. I don't give comfort either in spiritual direction. Forget it. Because that ain't what I got. Even though he's uh, always good. Like once before I took my vow of celibacy, I went, Pete, I'm not sure I can take this vow of celibacy next week. He says, Richard, your problem isn't celibacy, it's humility. Thank you, Father, you miserable. Zing, zing, zing. But I knew he loved me, so I can take the zingers off him. But anyway, so I would sit there and have to be challenged every time I go, every time I still meet with him. Even though last time I was with him, I said, Pete, you're going to die here soon. Who am I going to get for a spiritual director? (laughs) Flip a coin. (laughs) Nice. Thanks for your last bit of advice to me, Father. But anyway, so, but every time I go with him throughout the years, I've never walked out the same way I walked in because he always wanted me to grow. He always wants me to be better than I was. And that's got to be with all of us. Now, this is going to be hard for a lot of you, but heaven is much nicer than Erie, Pennsylvania. It just is. I'm, I, know, I know. If it's not, oh my gosh, we're in problems. But some people want to cling to this. We need to be living for forever. You know, it says in Hebrews 12, it says strive for that. If you ever go and see my car, I have a, a car outside and, and it's, I usually drive an SUV. And so anybody know my license plate in my car? You are good. Huh? Diane Gallagher used to sit there, Jim's sister, and always says, Father, it's always so funny because, you know, when I first saw that, you always want to try to find out who's driving that type of car. And then they, think, then they say it's you. And it's like, they must think, huh? Father Larry says you are good. But anyway, if I ask all of you people and I said, you think you're good people, I bet you everybody here would say, yeah, I'm a good person. Yeah, I'm in Sarah Club. I'm a good person. Ooh. The word of God doesn't say good people go to heaven, does it? Nowhere does it say good people go to heaven. The word of God in Hebrews 12 says what? Holy people go to heaven. So if I ask you, are you holy? I don't know, Father. I don't think I'm holy. Well, of course you're holy. You know, holiness means set apart for God, right? You sit there and we go upstairs and we have mass, and in that room there's a chalice. Now the chalice has been set apart from God. It's holy. It's consecrated for God. If I take that chalice upstairs and I drink Pepsi out of it, what am I doing? It's a sacrilege, huh? Well, you are the place where God dwells. You're much holier than a bloody chalice. Come on. You are the place where the Almighty God lives and dwells. So, of course, you're holy. Of course, you've been set apart for God. But are you growing in holiness? Huh? Are you growing? Is that your goal to be a saint? St. John Bosco's spiritual director is a saint. St. John Bosco is a saint. And his spiritual directee, Dominic Salvio, is a saint. Dominic Salvio is the youngest. A uh, person that's been canonized was not a martyr. And so John Bosco wrote a book on his spiritual director, who's a saint, and on Dominic Salvio. But the book on Dominic Salvio is so good. It's such, a, it's such a call for young men because there's nothing out there. We don't challenge kids to holiness anymore. This Dominic Salvio, when he made his first communion seven years old, he died at 14. When he made his first communion at seven years old, he made four resolutions making his first communion. 
The last resolution was death before sin. Death before sin. That he'd rather die than ever commit one sin before God. Huh? He knew that he was called. And that's what John Bosco, when he started with all these boys, his mission with these boys wasn't for education to make them good, strong people so they could go on to become the President of the United States or a great football player. His mission was to make these boys saints. He was, considered himself a saint maker. That's what I got to do. I got to make these boys. And a saint maker is people that go to heaven, right? Those of you who are parents, your number one job as a parent, number one, is to get your children to heaven. You're a failure as a parent is if your parent, kids go and they sit there and they be, do all these things, they become president of the United States and they go to hell. Yeah, you failed. God gave you these children to get them to heaven. But see, that's got to be our goal. Is that my goal, is to go to heaven? Not for uh, heaven's sake, not so I can be a great saint for everybody to say, well, look, he was a great saint. She was a great saint, because that's pride. You want to do it because you want to be with the person you love more than anybody. You know, there's a great book. It's a Protestant book. Sorry for those who don't like Protestant people. But the reality is called uh, Crazy Love. It's written, it's a, it's a new book by a, by a Protestant minister great thing. It's called Crazy Love. And one of the questions in this book is unbelievable because he sits there and says, if you could go to heaven and you'd be peaceful forever, you'd live forever, you'd have everything you want forever, your family will be with you forever, everybody you ever loved or ever cared about will be with you forever. The only problem is Jesus won't be there. Would you go? Huh? Would you go? And you got to sit there and think, why do I do what I do? So I can be a saint with God for all eternity? If, again, like I do a mission, I'll say, if the only reason you do what you do, go to church and try to be a good person, is so you don't go to hell, well, who do you live? Who do you love? Yourself. It's an act of selfishness, huh? Now, the church is always taught in its infinite wisdom, which is much smarter than me. That's enough. It's okay. It's called imperfect contrition. Being sorry because you're going to get punished instead of being sorry because I hurt God. But I think God's going like, oh yeah, you're sorry because you're, you're going to go to hell. You're not sorry because you hurt me. Okay, I still forgive you because I'm an omnipotent, a wonderful, a loving God. But I think he'd rather want us to be with him because we want to be with him. Huh? So the goal got to be in all of our lives to be saints. Not to just do well in life, but to be a saint. Are you and I doing everything in our power to fulfill that goal? To be a saint so that we can live forever. Got it? Get it? Gonna do it? You better for a thousand years extra in purgatory. For more information, go to massimpact.us. Not another program, a way of life.